God, thank you. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. God, to just exalt your name high above any other name. God, to prepare us as we continue to enter into this season of sharing, this Christmas season, the birth of our Savior. But God, also remind us on mornings like this that we live in a real world full of real pain and real difficulties, joys, every emotion. And God, you're not afraid of any of those. God, you're not surprised by any of those moments in our lives. And so this morning, God, just continue to align our hearts with your word and your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys be seated. <clears throat> These guys got to quit singing my favorite songs because I don't have any voice left by the time I stand up here to preach, right? <laughs> have you ever had a moment, and I'm, I'm sure you've had one of these moments, where you've been standing somewhere really pretty, and you're looking out at something, and somebody's standing beside you, and you say, you see it over there? And they go, no, I don't see it. I mean, it's that tree right over there, or that, or that bird right over there. Or you, you see that happening over there? You see that way off in the distance? They go, no, I can't quite see it. And so you, and you, so you just start describing. You go, well, there's a tree over here. It's tall, and, and there's a mountaintop over there. And then there's this thing. You go, no, I can't quite see it. And so finally what you do, I, I've done this a few times with my kids. I get behind them, and I take their heads, and I angle it exactly where it needs to be. And they go, and you say, you see it? And they go, yeah. But in the back of your mind, you know that they don't see it. <laughs> right? They're just pacifying you, right? Because they're tired of looking for whatever you think that you're supposed to be seeing at that moment. And you're just tired of it, and they're tired of it, and you don't try anymore. You're just like, oh, great, I'm glad you saw it too. And you just walk off. For the last 13 weeks, we've been examining this powerful five-chapter book called First Peter where Peter is taking the head and the eyes and the vision of the early church, and he's pulling it around to say, you guys see these things? Do, do, you, do you understand what you're going to face? And I think probably our reaction might be the same as some of theirs. Well, kind of. No, do you really, under, do you really anticipate that suffering's going to happen, that trials are going to come, that God's going to care for you. Do you really see that? Uh, tilt your head a little bit. No, tilt it back this way. Oh, I think I got it. No, you don't have it yet. Until you're in the middle of it, until you're starting to experience those moments and you're having to completely depend on him, then you're going to get it. Then you're going to have an aha moment when you go, oh, that's what Peter was talking about. We were talking about this sermon series in, with a couple guys this week. We were amazed. I don't know if you've gone back and thought about this, but we have as we think about what we preach here and teach here, that over the last 13 weeks, we've walked through First Peter, and three weeks before our presidential election, we walked through and, and examined Peter's uh, telling the early church, guiding the early church to say, hey, here's how you respect those in authority. When riots were breaking out, and injustice and difficulties breaking out in Charlotte, our verse for the week was 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Love the brotherhood, honor everyone, fear God, honor the emperor. Almost every moment when we got to the tragedy of the hurricane that, that took place in our state and in Haiti, and we came upon a passage of scripture that dealt with how we care for those that are in need, 
And we sat there just going, it's amazing to us looking back over 13 weeks to see how alive God's word is today. And I hope that you have seen that over these past 13 weeks that we're not just walking through this so we can say, hey, we, we got through First Peter. But for us to see that God's word is exactly what it describes itself. It says it is a living and active as a two-edged sword in our lives. And man, we have seen that in a powerful way this morning. I mean, this, this last 13 weeks. And this morning, I want to kind of grab you, if I could, grab your attention to look into this passage and say, I need you to see this. As we come to a conclusion on Sunday morning, we got one more passage we're going to cover on Wednesday night with our adult Bible study to bring this all together. But this main passage this morning, I want to grab your attention. I want you to turn your heads. I want you to go, okay, I'm going to zoom in. I'm going to try to see this through the lens that the pastor's trying to show me this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 is where we're going to start this morning. I want to show you something. I want to aim you ahead. I want you to look out and catch the vision here of this this morning. We must continue to humbly trust in the mighty hand of God. That's a big sermon point to jump, in, to jump into. We must continue to humbly trust the mighty hand of God. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, this phrase here, the mighty hand of God, is not just a, a Peter language that he's using. This is Old Testament language. Almost a dozen times in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, a lot of it's the story of God's movement in and around the people of God, the Israelites. And almost a dozen times in the Old Testament, God moves in some miraculous ways in the lives of millions of Israelites. And at the conclusion of most of those moments, you know what it says? And the mighty hand of God moved. The mighty hand of God moved and, and held back the water so they could walk through on dry land. The mighty hand of God brought ten plagues upon the people so that they could experience freedom. The mighty hand of God continued to move in their lives. And so, Peter brings this language out of the Old Testament, knowing his audience, knowing that they understood history. As believers, many of them Jewish, would have known this history. He brings this forward and he says, the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. Trust in the mighty hand of God. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but the mighty hand of God that was working in the Old Testament is the mighty hand of God that displayed his love for you and offering Jesus Christ as a payment for your sins. That mighty hand of God is still moving, even today. The mighty hand of God didn't stop then. The mighty hand of God, God's word, 1 Peter, is not irrelevant now. We go, well, that was for the Old Testament and the New Testament, folks. No, the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may use you. He may place you in a place of leadership. But we've got to humbly trust in the mighty hand of God. Then he says, casting all your anxieties on him. Do any of you have any anxieties going into Christmas? Anybody not have any anxieties going into Christmas? Maybe that's a better question. 
right? Family gatherings, presents to buy, which party to attend. I mean, I, I had anxieties last night during the Christmas season. I had to decide which dirty Santa gift I was going to steal from somebody at a Christmas party, right? I mean, that's, that's real anxiety at Christmas, right? But some of you are experiencing extreme stress, extreme worry, extreme anxiety, especially at this Christmas season. The little study, the word anxiety, you may not realize this, the word anxiety means to divide. In the history, the root word there means to divide. What does anxiety do in your life? It divides your attention. It divides you from thinking correctly. It divides you from trusting properly in the Lord. It divides you. It pulls you apart. And in your mind, your focus, your attention, then we become ineffective, burdened. And just ready to give up. It's anxiety. At the heart of anxiety, really, at least for me, is this. It's pride. Because there are moments when I face anxiety over things that I decide that I think that I can take control of and handle myself. And then the attention gets divided. The focus gets divided. Do we trust the mighty hand of God in the middle of anxiety? About 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to go to the Bahamas. Don't get excited. Don't think, oh, see, that's how pastors roll, all right, the Bahamas, all right. It was a 64-foot boat with 15 youth pastors. We were the crew. We were the cooks. It was terrible. Let me just say to you, it was horrible, all right. And 13 of the people I'd never met before in my life, so now we're, we're the cast, we're crew, we get on the boat, we fly down to Miami, we get on, on the boat, I uh, never met this guy before, our captain, and uh, Captain Ron, some of you understand that reference, just think that, and, and, and he, he gets on the boat, and he instructs us, we're at the port of Miami, uh, it's about 7 o'clock at night, and the sun's starting to go down, and he says, uh, here's how you do this, here's how you tie these knots, we're already heading out to sea, heading out to the ocean, and he starts giving us all these instructions, and here's how you read the compass, and here's how you navigate, and here's how you do this, here's, you know, walks to it, he goes, I'm going to bed. You three are up first. I was on the second shift, 10 to midnight. At 10 o'clock at night, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, I was the captain of a ship. (laughs) This is not right. And he had told us the night before, earlier in the evening, he said, listen, all, all you got to do is keep this thing going on 263 on this compass right here in front of you. All you got to do, and you've got a mate beside you, great language, right? There's your mate, and he's going to stand beside you, and you're here. He's just going to keep every minute, he's going to tell you you're heading. And if it's not 263, you, you, you get yourself right. At any moment, you know what I really wanted to happen that night? I wanted Captain Ron, or whatever his name was, to come up from his slumber down below and come up and say, I got this. I was terrified. It was dark. The clouds had covered the moon and the stars. It was pitch black. I'd never been on a boat like this before. And I'm thinking, what in the world was this guy thinking? I was just waiting for that moment for him to come up the steps and go, hey, let me take the helm. I got this. He never did. We made it alive. I did my job. But how many of us trust our anxieties and worries Enough to say, God, I'm carrying this burden. I'm carrying this, and I need you more than ever. I need you to take this burden from me, this anxiety, this worry, this stress, this burden. I can't do it on my own. And I trust your mighty hand.
would you, would you take, I'm going to step aside, would you take this, navigate me, guide me? And what does he say that's so important for us to see here? He says, casting all your cares upon him, why? Because he cares for you. Oftentimes we quote, cast your cares upon Jesus, turn your worries and your fears over to Jesus, but we leave off the power of both ends. We've got the mighty hand of God, turn your anxieties to him. Why? Because he cares. The creator of the universe cares what you're experiencing this morning. The creator of the universe cares about the pain that you walked through this week. The creator of the universe who brought them through his mighty hand, the Israelites, the mighty hand that offered salvation through Jesus Christ is still working and he cares for you. It really brings us down to two questions. Two things that we probably wrestle with during times. Why can't I put it all on God? It's this. One of these two questions. Where is God in all this? Do I trust the sovereignty of this God of God's word? Do I trust the sovereignty of this God completely? Where's God in all this? The other struggle we have, we doubt if he cares. If God is in control and he cares, most of us have asked, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening right now? And while I can't put that direct answer to that piece, that answer to the piece of the puzzle that may be unlocked years down the line for you, I do know this. His mighty hand is upon you, and he's ca- he casts cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I don't say that this morning to make your pain feel trite or simple or not difficult for you. But my God cares for you. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. No doubt Peter, in writing these words, remembered the teaching of Jesus where Jesus said, hey, if I care for the birds of the air, then I care for you. He cares for you. Cast all your cares because he cares for you. As I was driving around thinking about this passage this week, I was going down 85 is where this kind of moment hit me. And this question came to me. On whom or what do you lean upon during seasons of suffering and trial? On whom or what do you lean upon during seasons of suffering and trial? We all lean on someone, something. There's a lot of those moments we lean on a a spouse or another person, even a pastor. But none of them are worthy to take the burden of your struggles like a God with a mighty hand who's offered salvation for you who says, I care for you. So to me, verse 6 and 7, Peter's comforting. He's kind of counseling them to the early church, to these believers who've been scattered around in various places. He say, let me... Again, let me turn your head. Let me just refocus you as we're coming to the conclusion of this letter. Let me just focus you on something. The creator of the universe in his mighty hand desires for you to cast your cares on him because he cares.
because he loves you. On whom or what do you cast your cares upon this Christmas season? Then I think, in my mind, as I read through this, Peter picks up a megaphone. Verse 6 and 7, he's just this counselor, pastor. He comforts you, he guides you, he's there for you. And then I think he picks up, in my mind, as I'm reading through it, he picks up one of those really obnoxious megaphones that you use to get teenagers' attentions at youth events, right? Or on a football field, you're trying to get the players, and it's got the little feedback every time you use it, and it's super loud, and he says this, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's not the same tone to me of cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He's got this megaphone. He's saying, listen, let me turn your attention. Look over the distance. Let me get you to focus further than right here what's in front of you. Let me just remind you of the enemy that you face. Now, I had three possible sermon titles. I went with number one. Number one was how to face the enemy. That's the sermon title for today. Not really exciting, to be quite honest with you. Uh, didn't take a lot of thought. And I had a couple of others. One was preparing for battle. My personal favorite was how not to be devoured when a lion attacks you. Right? I mean, this is what he says. How not to be devoured. I mean, that, that, that's got some bite to it, doesn't it? How not to be devoured when a lion attacks you. This is what he's saying now. Be comforted. He cares for you. He's watching out over you. His mighty hand. And oh, by the way, you are in a spiritual battle every day of your life. You're in third grade in this room this morning. You're in a spiritual battle every day of your life. You wish you were back in third grade this morning? You're in a spiritual battle every day of your life. And he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is not cleaned up super church language, is it? If he's writing to the early believers, he is closing out this letter with some strong language. He says, watch out for the devil, the enemy. He is after you. And he doesn't want to just come around you and and kind of coddle you and just love on you a little bit. No, he wants to devour. There is no other way to describe devour other than to kill you, to destroy you. His desire is to destroy Now, when you come to the end of a letter, some of you have probably never written a formal letter because you use email, and so you you may not type out a formal letter anymore. Definitely, there's a lot of you, if you're under 20, you handwrite a letter. It's called cursive, all right? Uh, And at the end, you put a salutation, right? At the end, you put the salutation that just says, uh, best wishes, best regards. Here's how Peter's ending his. Watch out for the lion. Watch out for the enemy. This is how he's concluding his letter in this last closing verse. He says, watch out for the lion. He is out there to destroy you. The recognition and realization that Peter makes for us is that not only are we under the care of the mighty hand of God, but we are under the attack of an enemy. The great news of God's word is that this enemy is on a leash. 
This enemy has been ultimately defeated through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. But that doesn't mean that every day temptations and struggles and turmoil and suffering, they're going to come our way. And don't think for a moment that they're there just to give you a tough day. The enemy's out to destroy your marriage. The enemy is out to annihilate your finances. The enemy is out to absolutely tear apart your trust in a sovereign God with a mighty hand who cares for you and fill you with doubt and despair and questions. He's out to devour you. You're in a battle every day. But then verse 9 reminds me something, and I think important for all of us this morning. He says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering, kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You are not alone. Again, I don't mean that to be a cliche phrase. You are not alone, he's saying here. You may be going through difficulty. You may be facing battles. You may be facing anxieties. Trust in the mighty hand of God. Place your cares upon him. The enemy's out to get you, but you're not alone. And this is a guy speaking from experience. This is a guy speaking from spiritual highs of leading and watching thousands of people come to Christ. This is also a guy who failed miserably at acknowledging Jesus when Jesus was still alive. This guy understands that you're not alone. The early church needed to know that other followers of Jesus had already been where they're headed. They've already been there. They've already walked some of this journey. He acknowledges, again, the reality of suffering, but the grace of God one more time is on display. He says, you're not alone. Verse 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Four verbs, four strong verbs. What is God going to do in the middle of our turmoil, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our fears when we're trying to live in culture but not become culture, when we're trying to live out our faith and walk through difficulties? What does he promise us towards the conclusion of this letter? He says, listen, the God of all glory, he's going to do do some things for you. He's going to restore you, which literally means he's going to mend you. He's going to bring healing to you. Some of you have experienced some of that healing from your past. Some of you experienced some of those incredible moments. He's going to confirm. He's going to make firm your commitment to him. He's going to strengthen. He's going to turn us towards the proper direction. And he's going to establish us. He's going to lay a foundation, making it solid as granite. God is going to use suffering. Trials, difficulties, pain, to do what? To mend us, confirm our faith, strengthen us, 
and lay an incredible foundation for each of us. God has chosen us and is allowing us to share our brokenness, our trials, and our suffering in order to lead others to Him. Whatever pain you've been through, again, not to be trite of your difficulties, not to be short of your difficulties, not at all. But understand this. The God of all creation desires to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you for His glory and for His work in your life and the life of others. Another question. On whom or what do you lean for spiritual and emotional restoration? On whom or what do you lean upon for spiritual and emotional restoration, strengthening, direction, and hope? Many of you in this room have placed that trust. The answer to that would be your faith in Jesus Christ. But some of you don't have that hope. Some of you have never placed that trust in that, in in Jesus Christ this morning. On whom or what then? Because you do it. On whom or what do you lean upon for your spiritual and emotional restoration, for your spiritual and emotional strengthening, for your spiritual and emotional direction, for your spiritual and emotional hope? And if you say this morning it's not in the God of this word and Jesus Christ who came and lived and died and conquered sin and death, then who is it? What is it? that you lean upon for restoration, for healing. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. Peter's hope for the church was not how modern you could be or how much like culture you can look. Peter was desiring for the church to understand you can exist in culture while standing firm on your commitment to God's word and communicate your hope in Jesus Christ. You can share Christ in your culture in 64 AD, church, and you can comfort, restore, strengthen, and lead people to the hope in Christ in 2016. On whom or what do you lean upon during seasons of suffering and trial? And on whom or what do you lean for spiritual and emotional restoration, strengthening, direction, and hope? My prayer is that it's Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, this morning I would consider it a great privilege to begin a conversation with you this morning during our invitation to lead you to that relationship of a God of a mighty hand of a God who cares for you and a God who desires to strengthen, restore, commit, and lay a foundation for you for all eternity. Church, we've got to turn our attention to these teachings.